to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I gotta tell you something, people. Today is one of the first times I've ever called France. My guest is in Paris, and it's funny because I call England sometimes, and I always get nervous when I see the different numbers. Because, you know, in America, we have the different area codes. Like, I'm New Jersey, I'm 609, but I still have an 818 cell phone from when I moved back from L.A. But it's funny because the, the numbers are different, and whenever I look at them, I always think I'm dialing something wrong, but it always works out. Anyway, we have a great show today. We have a gentleman who's uh, actually a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's been in some great bands. Uh, he's a drummer, taught himself guitar, writes songs, and our guest is Jim McCarty. How you doing, Jim? Hey, good. I'm very good, Steve. Now, do you live in France, or do you live in France and England uh, and everywhere? Um, well, I live mainly in France, down in the south. Um, I, I, I like I like the lifestyle. It's nice and quiet. I, I used to live in London, but uh, it got a bit hectic and it all changed like everything else. And um, I just wanted a bit of peace and calm and, and quiet. And it's very nice. Well, now it's funny because now when you do you miss it when you come on a tour? I know you have a tour starting in the U.S. When you leave France and the peace and the quietness and you get to America where it's, you know, it is, I mean, America's crazy. It's hustle and bustle. Do you, do you, <laughs> you know, you've, you've been all over the world, but do you sit there and miss the peacefulness when you're on the road or do you sit there and love the road so when you're back in the peacefulness, you miss the road? Uh, well, no, no, I don't really miss it, but, but it's nice. It's a, it's a bit of a buzz, you know, um, it's quite a nice balance because I, I like going between the two. Um, it, it's not that I'm on the, on tour very often, you know, maybe two or three times a year. Um, and, and it's fun. It's fun as long as it's not too much. In the sixties, it was, uh, like every day of the week, and that that, that was too much. That was uh, really draining. Now, when did you take up the drums, and what got you into music? And were drums your first instrument? Well, I was uh, back in the uh, days when I was a teenager. I was in a thing called the Boys Brigade. Uh, I don't know whether you have that in America. It's a sort of semi-military thing where you have a band and I used to play the snare drum and I, I like I, I loved it you know um, I played a, like a snare drum beat and then all the other snare drums followed me you know and then we march used to march down the street with our uniforms and I got into that sort of military style and then um, when I was at school I, I started hearing some of the early American rock and roll stuff, you know, Elvis and Buddy Holly and the Everly Brothers. And we used to have a little school group and um, I, I, I like saved up for my first drum kit, which was about 11 pounds at the time, which is, uh, I, I, I believe that's about 300 bucks now. So you saved up, you got the drums and now were your parents happy that you were playing the drums? Uh, well, sort of. Um, <laughs> it's a difficult thing to play at home, you know. The bass drum <laughs> sort of breaks through everything, and uh, but I, they they were quite proud of me. I think, um, um, you know, that they, they used to come and see me play sometimes, and um, it, it came. It was difficult when I uh, 
later on when I was joining the, the, the group and I had a job working in London in the stock exchange, I worked for a stockbroker up in London in the city. And um, when I, when I, uh, I wanted to give up my job, that was difficult. Uh, difficult decision. It was just me and my mother by then because my father died when I was about 17. And um, she thought, you know, I should stay in a steady job because uh, that, that that was the way it was in those days. You know, the, you, you had a job for life. But uh, uh, I, I really loved playing in the band and I couldn't do two things at once. So I, I went for for the band eventually and it, and it took off. Now, the Yardbirds, you, how did you guys start up? And I believe, didn't you have a different name for the group at first uh we, we well only for maybe one show i think we called it the blue sounds or something like that we, we couldn't we couldn't think of a, a name um keith ralph ace player they they were in a band called the metropolis blues quartet and um i was in another band with uh top top the guitar player and chris Dreyer. And um, we we conglomerated, you know, we mixed it all together. We, we got together because um, Keith and Paul, they wanted to have more of a rocky sound. And <clears throat> they knew I was a, a, a rock and roll drummer, you know, because I played in the, in the school group. So you get together and now what kind of music do you guys want to play? Are you thinking, you know, are you going to play originals? Are you going to play covers? Or what was, what did people want back then? Well, we, we played covers because um, it was very new uh, in, in England at the time to hear this um, blues music. You know, we, we, we called it R&B. It was uh, music by Muddy Waters and Bo Diddley, Chuck Berry, you know, Slim Harpo. Howling Wolf, it, it, all, it all came in at a certain time in the 60s to, to England and it was sort of very underground. Um, it was like you couldn't, you couldn't get the records very easily. You'd never hear it on the radio. Um, there were some bands already playing that sort of stuff, like the Rolling Stones. Uh, I think they, they had a, they had, uh, you know, they, they were responsible for introducing it into England. And, uh, you know, we, we loved it as well, and we, uh, we wanted to do that, that music as well. And, and so we, we went from there, and we followed the Stones into one of their residency show, uh, gigs in, in Richmond, in Surrey. Now, when you went, took over that job, were people, were you starting to get a following? Were people sitting there and going, we really dig this sound, it's something different and we like it? Well, yeah, they they liked it. Uh, we we were similar, but we were different to the Stones. Um, we, we had a different sort of concept uh, of what we were doing. Um, we, um, we had that, you know, those sort of build-ups which became known as the rave-up. We, we did that sort of thing. Um, which they didn't do, and we did different songs to them, although um, similar artists, similar genre of music, of course. Um, and you know, we 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 got a following as well, uh, and that took off pretty quickly. Now, during that time, were you guys thinking about 
a record deal or recording, or were you just happy that you were play, playing at this great gig constantly? Well, we we played all around London, and we played a lot of lot of lot of shows around London, a lot of um, a lot of the clubs um, at the time, and pretty regularly. And then, <clears throat> you know, we we sort of built up a following, and then it became the next question was, you know, well, you know, what are you going to record? And uh, so we we did look for a record deal, and we recorded a couple of our of our uh, stage songs, um, which sort of, you know, sort of became hits, but not not very big hits. And um, it wasn't until we got a job playing with the Beatles, actually, at their Christmas show in in London. In, in they used to have a Christmas show every, every year, um, um, and this one was in Hammersmith, and they got us in as a support band with some other bands. And uh, there was a guy from a publisher there, and, and he had the uh, demo disc of, of For Your Love. And he thought, seeing us, he thought we were sort of, it would suit our, our sound. So he, he got that disc over to our manager, and uh, we we heard it, and we loved it. And we decided to do that as our, uh, you know, as our, our, I think, one of our early singles. So it was your single, so now, you know, you're, you you already have a following, you're getting a bigger following. How did the succession with the band happen? When did, when did Top leave? Top? Um, top, top left pretty quickly. He wasn't in the band that long. Um, he was younger than the rest of us, and he was doing his studies. Uh, he was starting to be a, a, an artist, uh, um, uh, a graphic artist, I think, at the time. Um, and his parents wanted him to carry on with the studies. They didn't like him playing in a band, um, you know, out all, all hours of the night. So um, they sort of put a bit of pressure on him, and um, so he left the group. And uh, Keith and uh, Chris, they were both from Kingston Art School originally, and they, they knew Eric Clapton who was also there, and he had a bit of a reputation. Uh, they asked him to come down and audition. He came down and uh, he got the job. So you have a new lineup. Um, is it easy as a drummer? Because I always say, you know, drummers and the bassist are the backbone. Like, I'm, I'm a baseball fan. So they're like the second baseman and the shortstop. They're the middle infield. They, they keep it together. <laughs> yes. It's true. I mean, it's funny. People don't think about it that way. But when you're a drummer... When you get a new guitarist, is it hard to acclimate to his talent just because you had played with Top? Or is it just because you're a true musician, you can just pick it up right away, playing with him and getting used to his styles? Well, I, I, I picked it up pretty quick because he, <laughs> he was pretty good, even in those days. <laughs> um, I... I yeah, I, I I picked it up well. He was he was a bit he was a bit more um, technical than top. He was he was very keen, very enthusiastic, and uh, um, no, he was fine. Uh, what I did notice with Eric was, um, you know, after he'd been in the band a few weeks or, or a couple of months or whatever, um, I, I noticed when we played at the Crawdaddy in Richmond, the the, the, one, the club I told you about before. 
the all the girls would sort of be on his side of the stage, which was unusual because uh, usually it was the lead singer that, that got all the attention. But um, it changed with him. Um, he, he seemed to get more attention than, than Keith, uh, which was unusual. I, I did notice from where, you know, from where I was playing. So Eric's in the band, the girls are liking him, and you're going, wait a second, I'm the drummer on the backbone. Come on. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah. It's like give me some, give me some love. But when, okay, so, so when did <laughs> yes. when did Eric leave? How did, what happened there? Well, he he left uh, around the time of For Your Love uh, when when we had that demo. Um, we all listened to it and we thought we liked it, but Eric didn't really like it. Uh, to him, it wasn't a blues song. It was something different. Um, it was, you know, out of our sort of league. Um, and also, you know, he, he he sort of wasn't really uh, so much one of us. He sort of, you know, he changed quite a bit from being one of the guys and he was very, became quite independent to us. Um, he obviously wanted to have his own his own sort of life his own band and you know and good luck to him he did and uh so he left and uh we wanted to get jimmy page in the band because jimmy used to come and see us so jimmy was a friend of Giorgio, our manager and um we asked jimmy but he was doing sessions in london playing on everyone else's record um he was very busy but he suggested Jeff Beck, who was uh, an understudy for him. He, he did sessions when he couldn't, when Jimmy couldn't do it. So uh, Jeff came along and uh, he got the job. He, he he was fantastic, you know, um, quite different to Eric. Uh, not 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 so close conscious. He was a bit scruffy when he when we first met him, but uh, he could certainly play, and he could play everything that. That Eric could uh, and more really he was great so Jeff's in the band and now you know we had talked about For Your Love when that started becoming a hit how did your guys careers change because you had a hit record were you now getting more offers to play nicer places or what changed in your career oh yeah 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 it, it was very exciting because all of a sudden um after playing just around London, we, we'd be playing all over the place, you know, all over England and Scotland and uh, even on, onto the continent, you know, France and Germany sometimes. Uh, it just really broadened. Everything broadened. Uh, everything became more exciting. Um, everything became very busy traveling and doing photo sessions and, you know, adverts and uh, more recording, it it just became, you know, pretty full on. Now, you came to the States for your first tour in August of 65. What was it like? Were you excited to come to the States? Because, you know, a lot of times... Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, what really was, because, because um, you know, the States to us was, was a dream for, for young guys like us. Um, We'd seen all the films on TV, all the westerns and all the gangsters and all the TV shows and everything. And um, the States was like heaven. Um, 
and uh, you know other people said they they played in the states and that you know it was a great it was a great thing to do and uh, we were in, incredibly excited about it and uh, I remember coming to New York uh, and being um, you know staying in a hotel very high up in a, a skyscraper we didn't have those sort of buildings in London and looking down at all the American cars in the <laughs> with Jeff Beck, so sort of saying, "Oh wow, look at those cars! You know, amazing." And uh, so we we went from there. It was all very very exciting. Now, how did the U.S. crowds take to you when you first came over? Were were they excited? Were they? And what kind of venues were you playing? Well, it took it took a little while. We uh, we had trouble with our work permits, to be honest. First of all, uh, so that that was a bit difficult and. Um, we we did a couple of TV shows and we didn't have the right work permits. We played a couple of odd gigs and then uh, we played a couple of parties because we didn't have the permits. But um, we, when we came back, we came back pretty soon, pretty quickly, and um, you know played all, all around the Midwest and everywhere. And uh, pe- people went mad. You know, people were crazy for us. Um, uh, uh, they were saying they, they'd seen nothing like us ever. Was it they saw nothing like it because your sound was just different? Was it because just the mixing and I mean, what do you think that that caught the American crowds where they said, "Wow, we've never seen something like this." Well, they'd never heard they'd never heard that sort of um, well, the white kid. We were playing to a white audience that they'd never heard that sort of blues music. They'd never heard. Um, Howling Wolf songs or, or Mighty Waters, uh, you know that that was all new to them. Um, it was it was pretty loud and pretty dynamic. <clears throat> um, you know, Jeff Jeff Beck was a fabulous guitar player. I don't think they'd ever seen anything like him. Um, and that, you know, with with Keith on the harmonica and that sort of sound, you know, it was so exciting. Um, people used to go mad now what was it like balancing the tour and getting in studio because it seems you were traveling everywhere how did that break down your year how often would you be on the road and how often would you be in the studio well first of all when we came to the states uh um Giorgio Gamelski our manager was with us and he had some great ideas and he took us down into chess chess studios in Chicago and also to Sun Studios down in Memphis, you know, while we were traveling around. And we did some sessions there and, you know, produced some some good recordings of things like Shapes of Things and I'm a Man uh, in Chess. We did Train Kept to Rolling and Mr. You're a Better Man down in um, Sun. And we thought, oh, well, this is great, you know, uh, these studios are so much better than the English studios. Great engineers, um, you know, it was, it was great engineering, so much, much more advanced than what what we were used to in London, because um, they were used to recording rock and roll. Now, now, when you're on the road and you're also recording, do you have any downtime? Like, do you ever sit there and just have, besides being on the road, do you have any time where you can just enjoy the sights that you're around? Well, I think that was always the problem. Um, 
you know, at that time, um, we, we didn't really have any time. Um, it was just uh, more economic for everybody to keep moving and um, have, having days off. You know, very occasionally we might have a day off, but uh, it, it was it was pretty full on. You know, we'd be traveling around, playing pretty well every night. Um, and, you know, I suppose making, a, you know, quite good money, but course the money sort of filtered out with agents and managers and so so i wouldn't say we were greatly rich from it um but it it was fun you know it was a it was a i don't know it was a roller coaster it was up and down sometimes uh sometimes you'd love it and sometimes it would be you know a bit depressing you'd get very tired so you're in the band now how did jimmy page eventually come get into the band when he, he had turned you down at first because, you know, as you said, he's such a musician, but how did he end up in the band? Well, we, we, we did a lot of lot of tours that were, as I say, they were all full on, um, and it, it was quite difficult. We were all sensitive guys, all sort of traveling, um, you know, all together in little buses and things and airplanes, and it was quite, it was quite tough, and... Um, Paul Samuel Smith, the bass player, he was a very sensitive guy, very nerve, nervous, nervous guy. And um, I don't know, he, he just couldn't take it anymore. Um, and it was too much for him and he had to leave. And uh, that, that was when, you know, we, we knew we were aware that Jimmy wa wanted to join us. And uh, he, he was... He was pretty keen on joining us then, and he was happy to come in and play bass, straight. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. And you know, you don't think about that. It's like, Jimmy, and now once again, as I said, with the backbone, it must be weird for you because now you're playing with a new bassist when you were used to the other one. Yes. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was a guitar player playing bass, but he, he was he was pretty faithful to the parts. Um but he didn't stay on bass too long. Um, we just thought it's a bit silly with him playing bass and Chris Dreyer playing guitar. So they eventually swapped. Chris played bass and uh, Jimmy went on guitar and we had, we had Jeff and Jimmy at the same time. Now that was pretty much, there was there a lot of bands then with two lead guitarists or was that something that was really sort of unheard of? <laughs> Well, I, I guess there was some around. Um, it, I don't think there were many with two guitar players like that. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they were pretty good, um, but but they they I don't know they had problems working it out between them, um, and now and then it, it it would really work, but most of the time it was uh, very tricky, you know. It would be a bit of a bit of a row, and they'd all be, be they'd be playing at the same time. Uh, when they worked it out, and they did solo after solo sort of thing, took their places. It was very very good. It could be really good, um, but it was that there was a lot of egos going on, you know, a lot of competition going on on stage, um, and of course they're they're totally different personalities. Um, Jeff plays right off the top of his head. He's very nervous, very twitchy. You know, everything's very different every night with him. 
and Jim Jim is the opposite. You know, he he's got it all worked out, and he plays the same. And uh, you know, he he everything is pretty uniform with him. And so they they were quite different personalities playing uh, in the same band. Now, when you're in a band and there's two egos, you know, conflicting, and I'm sure it doesn't only mean on stage but off stage. How is a band member? Did you feel like you're walking on eggshells, or how does that, or does it add to the energy? <laughs> uh, well, both. Yeah, both. Uh, I suppose it was very, very edgy, and uh, that 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 would sometimes that would help. That would make it a very energetic show, a sort of edgy, nervous show. But um, I think with Jeff, you never really knew what he was going to do. Um, because uh, he quite often lo lose it, loses rag and um, you know kick the amps off stage or, or or just run off stage or smash something or other um, and just lose his temper. So he never quite knew uh, what was going to happen. So you guys are doing, you know, you're having a good career now. You end up breaking up. What happened there? Uh, well, it, uh, Jeff, Jeff left, Paul had left already, uh, um, we couldn't carry on with Jeff because he was, it was too much for him as well. Um, we played as a four piece, which, which worked pretty well. That, that, that was quite good. You, you, that was pretty regular. We knew, we knew what was going to happen. Um, I think the only problem was we didn't have the depth of creativity within the band. Uh, we didn't produce, um, you know, great records like Shapes of Things and uh, Better Man Than I and, you know, Over on the Sideways Down, etc. We just didn't have the ideas that we, we had before. And uh, so it, it got to the point where we we were recording very silly songs, um, you know, little games, that wasn't too bad, but then we... We did songs like Ha Ha Said the Clown and Ten Little Indians. This was all with Mickey Most as producer. And it didn't really suit us at all. And I don't know, we we, we just ran out of steam. And uh, we were all really tired. You know, we've been playing around sort of for a few years, pretty full on. And uh, so we we had to pack it in. Now, when you pack it in, you know, it's packed in, and you said, you know, you were playing silly songs, which must have been frustrating as a musician. Um, when you pack it in, what, for you personally, what were your plans? Like, you know, you were just, you, had the, you, you were a part of the Yardbirds. Now, what did you decide that you wanted to do with, with the rest of your life? Well, well I, w I was interested, in more interested in writing, writing songs. Um, and and doing songs that were different, a bit different to you know the blues style and the and the rock stuff. <clears throat> and Keith and I sort of got on really well together. We we used to share a hotel room and we spent a lot of time together, you know, talking and chatting. And um, so we had our own ideas and we wanted to do something different and. Um, we eventually formed Renaissance with some other guys, and uh, that to us that was different. You know, that was a 
more of a prog rock band based around keyboards and piano, you know, not so much a lead guitar, um, original original music and not uh, not blues music. It, it was quite different. And uh, but uh, uh, that that was difficult because we, you know, our name was was for, from the Arbors and um, people were very surprised when we suddenly appeared with with that band. Now, as as you know, as a drummer, is it hard to switch into a new style of music like that? Uh, well, not really, not for me, because um, I liked it because it it was more, um, you know, it it had more variety to it. It was, uh, you know, there there were more beats going on. I didn't have to play shuffles so much. Uh, uh, I could play a bit more interesting rhythms. I, I was interested in, you know, lots of different rhythms and um, uh, sort of more something a bit more interesting, a bit a bit more developed. And also, I I like getting involved in the songwriting, so uh, that that was good for me. So I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed putting that band together. Now, when you when you you know you said you'd like to get into the songwriting, were you a did you do lyrics, the music, or did you do both, or was it depending on what song you were working on? Well, Keith and I used to do them together, and um, some, sometimes we'd swap. You know, he'd do the lyrics, or I'd do the lyrics. You know, I'd have a tune, he'd have a tune, or whatever. We we worked it out between us. There was no sort of set pattern. Um, usually, I'm I'm better at tunes, I think, than lyrics. L- lyrics would take a bit more work. But um, we we sort of had it had it quite good between us. Now you were with Renaissance for two years. Yeah. Now the band and I guess Andy Haslam came after you left. Why did you leave? Yes. Why did you leave Renaissance? Uh, well, I think what what happened we we we've been to, we've been doing the rounds with the Yardbirds, um, playing you know night after night and playing on the road and then we got into renaissance and we enjoyed that we enjoyed that different music um but then it started getting the same thing you know we started getting into a into a thing where we were playing you know full-on full-on tours again it was it was hard work um it was more difficult for for like Keith's sister jane uh, it was tough for her and all the travelling, and also, you know, the other guys, they they, they weren't so um, used to it as we were, and uh, it was a difficult, you know, a difficult atmosphere, and so we, you know, we we had to give it in, unfortunately, and uh, decided to uh, to take a back seat, and I thought, well, I I maybe carry on writing for the band uh keith was going to carry on producing but he 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 went elsewhere um and we got annie haslam involved and a different different lineup and i was i was still writing songs which i did you know for the first couple of albums with their new lineup 
but then of course you know they started to do it within the within the band so uh i i sort of got rode out <laughs> now now is it hard to write a song at least for you that you weren't going to be playing on i mean how do you sit there and think about the drum part because you know you're a great drummer and then someone else is playing a, a drum part what is that like what was that like for you yeah, well, it was different. Yeah, it was different. It was, um, yeah, because I'd have a lot of ideas with with drum rhythms, um, uh, drum rhythms. So that was difficult. But I I got used to that, um, and I I can do that now. I can I can you know write a song and play a song without having to play drums on it. Um, uh, I, it was difficult first of all, but. Um, it's sort of easier when you do your own song, I think, as well, if you're involved in your own song, uh, rather than trying to write for someone else. I, I, I have written for other people, but that, that's never really worked for me in the same way. I've always preferred to do my uh, record my own stuff. So, you know, you've been you, you've formed Renaissance, you do put different bands together. Tell me about Box of Frogs and how you came up with that name. <laughs> For a box of frogs, it was a, uh, it was really a uh, a reunion of all, uh, 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 more than anything else of the old guys. You know, Paul, um, Paul Samuel Smith, Chris Dreyer, and myself. We we still hung out together now and then, and uh, we decided to, uh, you know, r write a few more songs uh, at that time. We we were asked to. Um, revived the Yardbirds for, for a couple of gigs in the Marquee Club. I think it was their 20th anniversary uh, and they wanted to put the Yardbirds on again and uh, we asked, you know, a few of the old guys and, you know, they they weren't really interested so we, we put a band together with us three in it um, and then we we sort of said, oh, we'll have to do this a bit, a bit more often and... Uh, so we decided to write more songs, and it, it went from there, and we suddenly had an album to record, and we enjoyed it. Uh, the unfortunate thing was we never took it to tour. Uh, you know, we, we never took it live, which might have been good because, uh, you know, it, it was quite... Uh, it got a lot of interest, but if we'd have done a couple of tours, it probably would have done a lot better. Well, now, you're a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and, you know, I always think, you know, in 1992, that's when you were inducted, that was really on the beginning of all the computers and everything like that, and it's not like now you can just send a text to someone and say, this happened. How did you find out that the Yardbirds were inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Did someone call you, or did you get a letter, or what happened? <laughs> I can't. No, I can't really remember. I, I remember we were in, we were uh, put it put in uh, for a, a couple of years before uh, we, we were up for it. Um, I, I don't really remember, you know, because uh, there wouldn't have been probably internet, would there? Uh, I think maybe somebody called me up and said we were we were inducted, and we we got a letter. We got a letter saying we were we were going in, and uh, and we all we all went over to New York to the uh, you know 
the the Astoria whatever it is and uh, went in for went in for the uh, the evening. What was that ceremony like? Because you're in front of all, a lot of other musicians and you're in front of you know not only peers but fans. Is it a, a really great feeling when you guys were up on stage and then you got to jam again? Well, we we in those days they didn't have that together. Uh, we, we didn't really we did they didn't put the bands together like they do now. Um, in those days, they sort of asked everyone to to come along and and jam. And I think I was the only one that that, that played a couple of songs. Um, none of the other guys, play, you know, played which was unfortunate that they didn't put the individual bands together. Um, it was just, uh, I can't remember the, the guy who used to organize it, the guy from the Letterman show, you know, the, the keyboard guy, I can't remember his Paul name, Schaefer. but, but he used to organize the, the, uh, the jams. And, uh, I remember st standing like next to, to Neil Young and, uh, behind Johnny Cash, and I was playing a tambourine, <laughs> which was very strange. So that was very odd, but, um, you know, it was great. It was great being there with all these people. You know, Keith Richard was there, and uh, Little Richard, B.B. King, and, uh, you know, lot, lots of great people there. And uh, it, it was really nice to be accepted into, into that sort of community. Now, on the website, the Yardbirds, it goes over your career and things like that. When did you start to teach yourself? You said you taught yourself guitar and I think a little bit of piano. When did you start learning them and what made you want to do them? Was it, was it for your songwriting to enhance your songwriting? Yeah, I think, I think that was back when, when Keith and I had left and uh, we used to hang out together and uh, Keith taught me a few chords and it, it was nice. I, I was fascinated with putting the, these chord progressions together, and um, that, that they helped, you know, with the songs. And uh, I enjoyed it. It was, it was something magical about putting a chord progression together with it, with a tune, you know, because you can do so many different ways of doing it. But I, I, I always used to enjoy that, and I still do. Now you you've released some solo albums, and you sing on them. Do you, is that something you're comfortable with because, and it was something that you had to learn to sing and get your voice better or, or was it just natural to you? Um, I, I always loved singing. I always loved to do the backing parts. You know, I used to, do, I used to do the backing parts for, uh, for your love, heart full of soul and shapes, shapes of things. It, it was always, a, it was always more difficult singing lead. Um, it's it's funny on stage, you know, because you feel like Karen Carpenter, you know, she used to be a drummer, and then and then all of a sudden she was in in the front, and suddenly appear in the front. But I, I was in another band called Illusion in the seventies, and we were um, like a, a reunion of Renaissance, um, John Hawkins, Louis Sinamo, and Jane Ralph. Um, uh, it was going to be Keith Ralph, but he, he died uh, while we were forming the band, unfortunately. But we went on and we did a couple of albums and uh, I decided to, to sing along with Jane. 
and play acoustic guitar and I, I quite liked it. it it was very odd at first very nerve-wracking but um i enjoyed it and I, I, and I like that sort of singer-songwriter sort of vibe you know her uh, uh singing songs about what what are going on what's going on in the world and sort of t- t- taking the news round sort of thing now when you recorded your solo albums was it hard for you to find a backing band or was it you called favors into friends or you knew it was people you know how did you get people to record with you well i i initially um um i well i did i i did uh one solo album in london and uh i got, I got various people um uh various people i knew you know eddie phillips from the creation came along and one of the guys in the Downliner sect, and then uh, Matthew Fisher from Procol Harum did a did a lot of work uh, for me, and we we started doing you know programming keyboards and all that sort of stuff, and it was that that was fun. That was back in the nineties, um, and then I I started going over to Toronto because I met I met a flute player called Ron Corb. And um, we got on well together, and um, I, I went over there and stayed with him, and um, and recorded with some of the guys he knew. And uh, I liked it in Toronto, and I liked that scene. And um, I did my latest album in Toronto as well, um, with a couple of musicians I know very well, and uh, you know we had a lot of fun doing it and we all clicked together we were all of a like mind and um we got terry brown to come in on on production and mixing and terry's a great guy he's an english uh producer who produced a lot of the rush, the rush albums and uh terry's a good friend and uh well you know we had a lot of fun doing that album and that that, that was called walking in the wildland now, in 95, you got the Yardbirds, Yardbirds back together. What made you inclined to do that? And, and was it something, was it an easy task to do? Well, I, I, always, I always used to like, you know, keeping my hand in. And I used to play, uh, I still played. And we, we, we used to play at one point in a little blues band in uh, Shepherd's Bush in London. That was around around about that time in the the early nineties, um, and we we sort of built it up. It was like like a little, little little old pub where they just wanted to play blues every night, and uh, I used to like playing there every week. And um, that that was initially with with Top Topham again. I bumped into Top again, um, and we, we we built it up, and we, we had a. a a vibe very much like the old Crawdaddy Club. It was like, you know, had all that excitement and playing, you know, similar old blues covers, which was fun. And then we sort of went from there. Uh, Chris Dreyer um, and Paul Samuel Smith used to come down and used to see us play and they all enjoyed it. And um, I don't know, we had a call from um, an agent in Lancashire and uh he 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 said oh i'm 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 just putting the animals together um 
to do some tours, which, which was just um, Hilton and John Steele. And he said, do you fancy, you know, getting together with, with Chris Dreyer? And so, um, you know, we thought about it and we, we, we did the experiment and we, we did a few shows and then we, we started to like it. We put a band together from the old uh, blues pub, you know, all the musicians we knew. Now, you recorded an album in 2003, Birdland, which you wrote most of the stuff, which must have been great for you because you enjoy writing. How did you get all these people who showed up, like Satriano, Vi, Slash, like everyone? How did those, did those guys just want to play with you guys? Did they sit there and go, we want to be on, on, on this album? Well, it, it, was, a, it was a concept. Uh, you know, Steve Vi was into the concept of, uh, of doing it. Um, it was Steve Vi's label. And um, he he wanted to do an album of a mixture of um, you know the old songs with, with guests on it, um, and also new songs with with the lineup we had at the time. And uh, we had a little you know a little help along the way. We had uh, some friends um, that were sort of semi semi man managing us, you know. Um, uh, fr friends of ours from from California, um, and uh, j just j it just grew like anything else. Just the idea, and uh, it, you know, we got Slash involved. There was a guy called Robert Knight, actually, the photographer, who was a big fan of ours and a friend, and he knew Slash, and uh, you know, then. Uh, and Joe Satriani was a friend of Steve, Steve Vai, and Steve Vai played on it, and, you know, Steve Lucas had played, and then it, it just sort of uh, expanded the whole idea, and we we ended up with, with pretty, a pretty good album. Now, you're going to be on tour, and you have... I guess pretty much a new lineup since 2015. I mean, I know you're the first, uh, you're the only original Yardbird left in the Yardbirds, which is awesome, which is so cool. How do you, how did you get your your latest lineup that you have now, and who all is in the lineup? Well, uh, it just it just sort of came together. Um, I, I sort of had the idea. A few years ago, uh, Chris Dreyer w was with me um, until a few years ago, and then he became ill. He, he had a few strokes. He, he couldn't play. He couldn't tour anymore. Um, and so I thought, well, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll get American musicians and I'll, I'll just travel over, and then we don't have all the all the uh, trying to get visas for everybody, you know, and work permits, and we don't have the traveling problem of getting there sort of thing. And, uh, um, you know, I just asked people I knew to recommend people, and uh, um, uh, Kenny Aronson, a uh, bass player, was, was recommended uh, by John Paris, uh, who, who I vaguely knew, and... Um, uh, who, who else is that? There's um, oh Mike Mike Scavone, you know from the uh, or I'm trying to think of the, the band. He, Mike Scavone's in a very good band called the Doughboys, 
and uh, he, he plays harmonica uh, and does backing vocals. He's a great singer, actually. Um, John Hyden, who was in the band uh, originally when we used to play in the pub in London. So he, he, he was sort of in and out of the arbors, but he, he was the singer on Birdland back in 2003. <clears throat> and then we had uh, Johnny A, who, who I knew, but we've replaced him for the next tour. And we've got uh, Godfrey Townsend coming in, so uh, that's a bit of an experiment. We'll see how he works out, but uh, he, he seems like a very good guy, and uh, we'll see how it works. Now, when you get new guys in the band, is it a lot of rehearsal time and getting to know each other? Because you know, when you when the band has been around for a while, you know you know how everything's going, but. Do you have a lot of rehearsal time with these guys? And is it tough because are a lot of them stateside or and you're in France or how does that work? Well, we, we, we'll have rehearsal before we start, you know, over, uh, over in, in New York. Um, we, the guys all, all know very, very well the repertoire. The repertoire really, you know, keeps it going. The repertoire stands up because it's so strong. Uh, there's great songs. There's, there's old blues blues covers we still do, and the, you know the for your loves, the shapes of things over on the side was down. It, it's a pretty strong set, uh, and uh, you know they uh, they learn they learn the arrangements, and then there's a bit of there's a bit of uh, you know um, a bit of making things up you know as we go along and stuff but uh it usually comes off pretty well uh and i, I don't know I, I i have a seem to have a bit of luck with it with these sort of things <laughs> i seem to have a flair of, of putting bands together for some reason so uh it usually works out really well now for you what's it like on the road now because you know i'm on your the website and you have you know three dates in a row this day, some one time you have four dates in a row, then three dates. So you're, I mean, for that from March 14th to March 30th, you only have a few days off. Because you've been in the business for a long time and you're older, how do you take care of your body? And because drums are, is a very physical, physical night. How do you keep in shape? What do you do to sit there and just be able to do that every night? Yeah, well, I yeah, I make sure I'm pretty fit. I mean, I play tennis and stuff, and I walk to you know do walks in the countryside, and I, I I don't I don't go to a gym, but I I must say I'm pretty you know I'm pretty good shape. I I, I do get a bit tired after maybe three or four in a row, uh, but it, it's very comfortable. You know, it, it's very easy as people doing things and. Uh, we have a great crew, you know, I don't really have to think very much. <laughs> like somebody carrying my bags, you know, uh, it's very it's very easy for me compared to the old days, um, fortunately. And, uh, you know, there, there, there's a great there's a great crew of people around me. So I'm, I'm very lucky. So what is your fan base now when you go play a live show? Do you have fans from all ages? Are there younger Yardburns fans coming up? And, you know, I would think if I was a young uh, guitarist, I would want to listen to your music because you had so many different, you know, influential guitarists. When, you, when you're when you sitting there, you know, what what is your crowd like this now? 
Well, it's all, it is all age groups. Uh, I, I would say it's mainly, you know, baby boomers, um, you know, people of a similar age group, not quite as old as me, maybe, but similar age group to me. Um, yeah, there's people, you know, maybe one or two generations of families coming. There's uh, usually, you know, a couple of young young kids with Led Zeppelin T-shirts. They've originally liked Zeppelin, and then they they go to our, they find out about us and come and see us and like our stuff too. So um, it's very it's very interesting to see, and I, I like seeing the kids there. And sometimes you you play a gig, and there's a, a lot of kids there, and they all know the the lyrics, which is which is great. Now, do you are you going to work on any more solo stuff coming up in the near future, or what? What's your plans? Well, there's no no plan right now. The solo album came out last year, um, and the book came out last year. You know about the book? Nobody nobody told me it's called. Um, you know that that was that, that that's quite a popular book. People seem to like that. I'm talking about all the things I've told you today <laughs> and uh, and more, you know, lots of funny stories. Um, people enjoy that. So at the moment, there's no no plans. I'm, I'm just going to do this tour, uh, see how it works out with this uh, Godfrey Townsend and, and uh, we'll we, we go from there. Well, you know, I want to thank you for taking time today. It was great. I, I love music and... Uh... You know, it's always great, the history, because, you know, you've been involved with so many bands, and, and you're still going. And people, if you want to find out more, go to theyardbirds.com. Go to theyardbirds.com. They're on tour uh, from March 14th until March 30th, and then they're on a cruise on April 2nd to April 5th, which must be nice. So people, check them out. Go check out, uh, look up Jim McCarty on uh, on Wikipedia. Find his solo projects. Go listen to them because you got to do that. And keep listening to me, people. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can email me, cooper, at coopertalk.net. Twitter, I'm at coopertalk. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next week.